Well, good morning. I'm Pastor John. I get the privilege of pastoring the Gladstone campus of New Life Church. Um, and as Rick said, I'm, I'm preaching here today, and uh, Travis and Scott have also rotated, so we're doing this as our last uh, look at the book of Lamentations. And then next week, we're going to start right into the book of Matthew. So we're going to finish up looking at Lamentations. So if you'll open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 2. And if you remember, the book of Lamentations because it is lamenting and it is grieving, it does kind of circle around. And so uh, even though we did chapter 5 last week with Travis here, we're doing chapter 2 now. It's some of the same topics, but they all have their own point. So we, we decided to teach this thematically, and I think this theme is a good one for us to end on. So I want to start off with a story um, from Christian writer Eugene Peterson. Uh, if you're familiar with him, he has a translation of the Bible called The Message. He's also written countless other books. He has a story that he, has, he tells about a friend of his, and this friend is somebody who's having a really rough time. He's got uh, job problems, he's got marital problems, he's got personal problems, and so he goes and sees a counselor. And the counselor says to him, you know what you need? You need this special kind of therapy that they have in New York City, and it's called Scream Weekends. Which to me, when I hear Scream Weekends, I think it's you sit and watch a bunch of horror movies or scary movies, but that's not what they had in mind. Instead, this was a radical form of therapy where the individual would go to New York City and they would put him in a room, a soundproof room, and for 48 hours straight, he would just scream as loud as he could until his voice gave way. And then when it came back, he would scream some more and just let out all of his anger, all of his frustration as much as he could. Now, it wasn't, you know, torturous. They brought him food and things like that. But the whole point of it was to scream and just let it all out. His friend came back and said, that was amazing. It was great. It was like my screaming was like this thundercloud with lightning and thunder. And then when my voice gave out, it's like the clouds parted and the sun came out and the birds were chirping and he said I feel so much better except for a couple weeks later he felt terrible again so he went back and did it again and then only lasted a couple days and then he had to do it again and Eugene Peterson said you know buddy you're doing the wrong thing screaming for no reason screaming to nothing just yelling and screaming out to the universe won't do you any good Instead, he said, what you should do is you should lock yourself in a closet with the book of Lamentations and scream out to the Lord. Let the Lord know what you feel. He said, it would be much more healthy. It would be much more what you need to do. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at how do we call out to the Lord? How do we cry out to the Lord? Because the book of Lamentations is a book of crying out. If you remember, the, the Hebrew word for lament is the word, right? That, that guttural, I can't believe this happened kind of sound. And so instead of making that sound to the universe and to randomness in the world, instead we make that cry to the Lord. So my big idea for this, this sermon is God who brings everything about wants, to take our we, wants us to take our complaints to him. So God who brings it all about, who's behind all of it, he wants us to take our complaints to him. So, yeah, it's not a great sentence, and, and, but it gets the point across that this is what we're going to be looking at. So there's four questions that we have to answer as we look at this statement, this big idea. The first one is, 
What does it mean that God brings it all about? What does it mean? Secondly, is it okay to complain to God? Does the Bible really condone complaining? Third, if it's okay to complain, then how do we do that? And then last, where's Jesus in all of this? How do we relate this to Jesus and what he's done and his, his saving work on the cross? So let's talk about how God brings it about. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. This is what it says. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all who were delighted in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentations. So what we see here is this, is this is Jeremiah. Remember, he's looking out over Jerusalem and Jerusalem's destruction. And he says, this is what's happened. In these five verses, there are 17 things that he said God has done or not done or allowed to happen. Now, this is not just a chapter two thing. In the next chapter in chapter three, in the first few verses, there's 12 complaints. There's 12 things. See, Jeremiah is on to something here. And what we see is that when you have some sort of grief or some sort of traumatic event, it's really easy to go right into complaining, right? If we remember the story of Lazarus, what happened with Lazarus? Lazarus dies, right? Jesus had delayed to get there. And what is Martha and Mary's response to Jesus immediately? It wasn't, oh, hey, Jesus, good to see you. It was, where were you? Why weren't you here? Mary even goes so far as saying, I thought you loved my brother. Don't you love him? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? So this complaining is, a, is just a natural feeling when we have something bad happen. Asking and questioning and lamenting, all of these things are all directed towards God. And we see right here, Jeremiah directs his towards God. Now we remember this, this whole judgment on Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem was, was, was foretold. It was prophesied. The Bible's very clear on this, all the way back to Moses. If Israel follows hard after God, they will be okay. But if they decide to follow other gods, they're not. And that's where we see them right here. The southern kingdom of Judah had decided they were going to ignore God. They were going to add in all sorts of other gods. And so God is disciplining them. And the fall of Jerusalem. Lamentations is a, is a funeral service for the city of Jerusalem. So we get that. Lamentations is all about what they deserved. The, the, the nation of Israel, the, the combined northern and southern kingdoms, and the people of Jerusalem, they had sinned. And so this is God's judgment, his discipline of them. Where we struggle when we see grief and we see bad things happen is when we see the other extreme, when we see Job. When we see Job and we see someone who's not done anything wrong, but yet bad things are happening to them. See, there's this spectrum that we're all on. On one end is lamentations, 
where we've done something wrong and we deserve the discipline we're getting. On the other end is Job. He hadn't done anything wrong and didn't deserve what he was getting. And so this is the spectrum that we find ourselves on, and we're somewhere on that. But what's important to see on this spectrum is that nothing on this happens without the sovereign control of God. There is no random event. This is all part of God's plan, a part of God's sovereign decree. Now, where we are coming out of 2020 and now into 2021, there's plenty to mourn and weep about. I mean, how many of you like wearing these things or the ones that you have on your face right now? How many of you like that we can't hug, we can't shake hands, we can't have a dinner after church like we so enjoyed last time, which my son still speaks about how good the food was. So thank you all for that. But we look at that and we go, oh, this is not okay. So we direct our our complaints at the governor. She's doing something she shouldn't do. Or we direct our complaints at the state or the government as a whole, federal government. And I'm going to argue that we are aiming too low. You see, the one that's in charge of it all is the God of heaven. This is not outside of his control. Everything is a part of his plan. That COVID did not surprise him. The fires back in the fall were not a, oh, okay, I better do something about that. None of this is a surprise to him. It is all a part of his plan. Now notice this. Looking back at, at, at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. Okay, The people that are conquering Jerusalem are the Babylonians. Now, I would, I would ask you, where in verses 1 through 5 does it say Babylonians? And I'll tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't say the Babylonians did any of this. But if you were watching Jerusalem, you would have seen the siege ramps, and you would have seen the, the soldiers, and you would have seen the flames, and it would have been all Babylonians doing this. So what is Jeremiah getting at here? Jeremiah is getting at the Babylonians are not to blame. God is to blame. God is the one who did this? This was God's plan. God is the cause. And not once does he put it at the feet of the Babylonians. Babylonians are just a tool that God is using. So what is inescapable in the book of Lamentations and what is inescapable in the Bible is that God is behind everything. And this, this is how we, we have to understand how our world works, how our lives work. You know, you remember Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a very hard thing to do, hard thing to think, but it's exactly what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? So the truth about this is knowing that God's in control does not take away our pain. It does not take away our suffering. It does not take away our grieving. But instead, what it does is it gives us a direction to take it. Now, you imagine that man at the Scream Weekend in New York City. He's screaming. Who's he screaming to? Random chance. How dare you? Random universe. That's terrible. But instead, we are to take our complaints, our grievances to the Lord. So, God's behind it all. But are we really allowed to complain to God? Is that what the Bible says? Is it okay to complain to God? Now, we get the screaming out, we, we get the prayer, we get meditation, but complaint? Because, I mean, usually the word complaint, when we hear it, is, is, is following after the word stop, right? The only time we hear the word complaining is when somebody's telling us to stop doing it. At least that's how it is in my household, right? 
It's never just, oh, would you keep complaining? Oh, that's a good job on the complaint. No, it's stop complaining. We don't view complaining as a good thing. I was talking to a member over at Gladstone a couple weeks ago, and she just says, I can't complain. I can't complain. It's not right to complain to the Lord. And I was like, well, just you wait. We're going to talk about this next Sunday. But are we allowed to complain to God? And I'm going to argue, and I think the scriptures point out, that we are. So before we get into that, ask yourself, who was the last person you complained to? And then what were you complaining about? And now ask yourself, when was the last time you complained to God? Have you complained to God? Have you taken your complaints to God? So I have, a, I have an illustration here, and it's from your pastor, Pastor Travis. So if it doesn't work, it's his fault. If it works, it'll also be his fault, okay? So Travis and I were talking about this passage and about complaining, and he said, you know what we do as humans is, is we complain like someone sitting at a restaurant, so I'm at the restaurant, and you know, it's great to be back in restaurants, so I'm ordering all this food, and my order starts to get messed up. And instead of telling the waiter, I turn to the person next to me in the booth next to me and say, look at how bad this is. Did you see how dirty this table was? Was that a mouse that just ran through? This is terrible. This is awful. And we would go, why are you complaining to the person next to you? Shouldn't you be complaining to the management? And see, that's what we like to do. We like to complain horizontally to the people around us, and for some reason, we have some blockage between complaining to God. We should go to management. We should take it to management. This horizontal complaining is that misery loves company kind of feel. The vertical complaining is to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't like this. Lord, ugh. Right? Now, that first type of complaining, the horizontal, the Bible uses the word grumbling for that, and, and almost every single time it's a sin. We're not going to talk about that today, so if that's something the Lord's putting on your heart, you can breathe easy. We're going for the vertical complaining, not the horizontal complaining. So why don't we complain to the Lord? Why don't we take it? Maybe it's because we think complaining's bad. Maybe it's because we're scared to bother the Lord, right? You're going, oh, I don't like my job. Lord, I don't like my job. And God goes, you know, I was dealing with starving orphans over in Africa, but I guess I'll give you my time right now. Is that the God that we see in the Bible? That he's bothered to come take care of our needs? Or maybe, maybe we, we look at it and we go, we go, if I complain the wrong way, maybe God's going to be like, well, you're complaining about your boss, just now take this. Is that the God we see in the Bible? That if we go to him with our complaints, he goes, well, okay, I'll give you more. No, that's not the God we see. Maybe we think he doesn't control the thing I'm complaining about. Well, remember, there's nothing in this universe that's outside of his control. And then maybe we just don't think to complain to him. So today, I, wanna, I want us to reorient that it's okay to complain to God, but there is a right way to do it. So where do we see complaining here? Let's look at a couple of verses. Complaining is okay according to the Bible, and here are some examples from Lamentations. Lamentations 1.9, and they'll be up here on the screen so you can follow along. Let me jump around a little bit. This is what he says, look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 11, all the people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasure for food. Look, Lord, and consider I am despised. Verse 20 of chapter 1, see, Lord, I am distressed. I am in torment. In my heart I am disturbed. 
They've been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there is death. Chapter 2, verse 20. Look, look, Lord, consider, why are you treating us like this? Chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, Lord, see our disgrace. Look and see our disgrace. See, Jeremiah is working up to a point here. He's saying, if there's a God of the universe that controls everything, which is what he assumes and what he has taught all throughout Lamentations, he's saying, then that God can sovereignly hear and take our complaints. He wants those from us. So, if we return back to that Lamentations Job spectrum, right? We got Job over here, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And what does he do? He complains to the Lord. And then we got Lamentations over here. Jeremiah knows exactly what's going on. The people are rebelling, and he complains to the Lord. Jeremiah and Job both give us permission to complain to the Lord. We have permission, no matter whether we understand or don't understand our circumstances. If something bad's happening in your life and you're like, yeah, I sinned and this is the repercussions, we can still complain to the Lord. Lord, I don't like this. How much longer? We can also, if we don't understand the situation, just like Job, take it to the Lord and say, Lord, how much longer? So how do we do this complaint? Well, complaint done right is very specific in the Bible. See, complaint is not an expression of unbelief, because if we didn't believe God exists, we wouldn't complain to him. We'd just go to the scream weekend and scream at the universe. But because we believe God exists, we take it to him. And there's no better place than to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't get this. Help me. So I'm going to show you an example of this, and this is a really good verse to kind of walk us through what a complaint looks like. And this is from Jeremiah chapter 12. So if you're following along, it's back to the left a little bit. It'll also be on the screen. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? So what we see when Jeremiah complains, the first thing we see is he comes to God and he says, You are Lord. It's you who are in charge. We don't go to God in our judgment. We instead go to God for our salvation. The second thing we see is right that very first three lines, righteous are you. We acknowledge that God's goodness, his rightness, his justice is behind everything he does. It is the guiding force behind all that he does. And then third, ask. I mean, look, at Jeremiah doesn't sugarcoat it. Lord, why do things not go well? He says, why are the wicked prospering? Why do the treacherous survive? Why, are they in, why do they thrive? So God welcomes our lament. He wants to hear from us. You know, we have this tendency to kind of pretend everything's okay. We have this view that it's, it's really, you know, just I have to fake it. But ultimately, what the Lord wants is he wants us to confess it, take it to him. When we lament, we invite God into our pain and we say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. Come here, help me. And then this trust is what grows out of it. Our lament is rooted specifically in what we believe. So if we believe that there's a God and he is good, our lament shows that off. You know, many times we try to have a positive attitude. Like if we can only think positively, everything's going to go better, right? Or, or we just kind of fake that we're, we're, everything's going fine. But in the Bible, it does not say that we need to fake that we're always having everything go okay. The Bible, as a matter of fact, if you remember your Psalms, one-third of the Psalms are these laments. They're these complaints saying, it's not going right. I need help. 
So we're not to put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay, but we're also not to stay and be Eeyore. We're not to wallow in it. Instead, we're to take it to the Lord because God is a God of truth and he wants us to speak to him in truth. The Bible doesn't whitewash the emotions. The Bible is full of emotion. Look at some examples here. Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1-2. This is what he says. Oh Lord, how long will I cry out for help and you not hear me? Will you not save me? David says in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel in sorrow all day long? Or Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I find no rest. So we see in the Bible there is emotion and it's pleading with the Lord and taking to the Lord saying, I don't like this. Help. Now, I know that many of you are are astute Bible scholars and you know that the Israelites, weren't they judged for complaining? I mean, I'm sure you've heard a sermon or you've heard a teaching on that. And I would say absolutely they were. But the difference was is they weren't doing the vertical complaining, they were doing the horizontal complaining. They complained to each other about Moses. They complained to each other about God instead of going to God like they are supposed to. So we tell him what we're feeling. We let him know what's going on. And so I have four steps that I want to walk you through on how we express our feelings to God. How do we complain rightly? The first one is we come humble. We come humble to God. We go to God and we say, I don't understand this. I need help. We don't come with the pride that says, I know what's best, Lord. You get in line. Pride is a sin. If we have that pride, we need to confess it. We need to repent of it. Pain-filled questions. Asking God, why did you do this? That sounds like blaming. That's that, but it, it's, it's all him. He's done it. But when you say, why didn't you do it my way? Why didn't you do it this way? When I say this is the way to go, that pride must be stopped. The second thing we're to do when we're coming humble is we're also to not let that pride turn into anger at God. And this is a, this is a tough subject because it, we get angry when our, when, our, when our desires are not met. Right? When we have something we want, we, we go to war for it when someone takes it away. There's an author by the name of Tim Chaley's. Uh, he's out of uh, Canada. He writes a blog and he's written some books. And I, I follow him and um, about 12 weeks ago, I woke up and I was looking through my email and there was a a blog post and his son, his oldest son, had fell over dead while at seminary. He was playing cards with his sister and his fiance and he just fell over and they couldn't resuscitate him. And so Tim Chaley's was, was, was talking about his son and some sweet, sweet stories and some of his last communication and as a dad of two sons, it just broke me to hear that this happened to him. But after the funeral, and with, I mean, you can imagine, he lives in Canada, he died in Kentucky, you can imagine all the COVID issues they have to deal with, with getting the body back, and funerals, and burials, and memorials, and quarantine, and all that. So somebody told Tim, they said, Tim, get angry with God, just rage at God. He's ready for it, he can take it. Just get mad at God. And Tim goes, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like I can be mad at God. There's something wrong there. And so he wrote these words. He said, in that moment, when he was 
counseled to be angry with God. I had to choose whether I would continue to proclaim in the dark what I had celebrated in the light, or whether instead I would allow my circumstances to overwhelm my beliefs. I had to choose whether these doctrines would draw me to God in comfort or alienate me in angry, in being angry. See, he had to decide, is the God that I say, blessed be the Lord when he gives, is it the same God I'm going to say, blessed be the Lord when he takes away? See, when, when we are angry at God, we're not just angry at him, but we're angry at what he's done. And we say, well, I'm just mad that he did it this way. He should have done it that way. But you see what you've done there is you've said, God made a mistake. God went a direction that was not right. And again, that doesn't match the God that we see in the Bible. God doesn't make mistakes. So what happens when I feel that he's made a mistake, when he's done it a way I don't agree with? What we do is we take it to him. We, we go to him and we say, I don't like this. This hurts, Lord. Now some people will hear, okay, but what if I am angry? Am I supposed to fake it? I'm supposed to be a hypocrite? And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying when we get angry, we need to confess it to the Lord. And many times we're going to need to repent, which takes us to our second step. First one's be honest. The first one's be humble. Second one is be honest. Tell God what you're feeling. Remember, Jesus did this, our perfect example of what it means to, to be someone in touch with the Spirit and the perfect God-man. Where do we see Jesus do this? Well, we see this in the garden. Jesus is sitting there, he's staring down the cross, and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the Lord wants to hear our struggles. He wants us to pour out and be honest with him. When I'm outside with my kids, and this has happened to all of them at least once, sometimes more than once, but I watch them playing on the playground, and they fall, and I look at it, and I do my mental, my mental assessment. Okay, hospital? No. Doctor? No. Band-Aid? Always. Um, and then walk right through. Oh, they're okay, right? They just need a kiss. They just need some comforting assurance. And do I say, oh, no, I don't give that? No, I love to give that to my kids. I love that my kids come to me, a finite dad, and think I can fix it all. And I feel joy in that. How much more joy does a finite God feel when we as his children go, Lord, this hurts. Help. I need your help. I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. See, God wants us to do that. Our small things, our big things, he wants us to go to him humbly. And yeah, sometimes it starts out like complaint, just like Mary and Martha. But the Lord takes that and honors that and hears that. Because remember, he's our compassionate father in heaven. In Psalm 10, 17, it says, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. It means he leans down so he can hear. That's the God we serve. 2 Corinthians 7, 6. The God who comforts the downcast. That's the God we serve. When we draw near to him in brokenness, he draws near to us and he holds us. Ties back to our discussion a minute ago about anger. If we feel that sinful desire to be angry with God, we tell him and go to him and he comforts us and helps us to see that. And thanks be to God's, to Christ's death on the cross, we have a, a, God views us now with the default position of mercy. 
He understands our weakness. He understands that, yes, we're going to get angry, but when we confess that, he is faithful and just to forgive us of that. Tell it to him. After all, he already knows, but he wants that relationship with you. So the third thing we do is we pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. See, the Bible has these laments in here on purpose. He has these complaints in here on purpose. Every single word, every single period, comma, all of it is inspired by God. And it will not pass away. And so we are, when we don't know what to pray, we are to pray these back to God. Sometimes when you're in the middle of grief and you're suffering, it's hard to pray the promises. So that's why we have these laments, don't we? I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus is now on the cross and he's up there. And does he just pray some random prayer? No, he quotes the Psalms back to God. Why, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, these prayers and these laments are all inspired by Scripture. I'm sorry, inspired by the Spirit. They're all a part of Holy Scripture. And so what happens is that gives us the okay to pray these back to God. It gives us the okay to say, I don't understand. Look at some of these examples. Here's one. Why? Anybody asked that question lately? Why is this happening, Lord? Well, here's a psalm, Psalm 10.1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's a simple prayer. Lord, why? Why is it that way? Or anybody asked how long anything's going to happen recently? Psalm 35.17. How long, O Lord? How long will you look on? How long? So pray the Bible back. If you don't know what to say and you just are like, I just feel, uh, pray the Bible back to him. And say, Lord, do these. And then lastly, don't stop in your complaining. Don't get stuck there. Lament doesn't give us the right to sit and wallow. Lament doesn't do that. We're not to stay in our complaints. Our complaints are a means to an end. Just like when the surgeon is going to go in and do a heart transplant. That first incision with the scalpel, that is not it. I mean, think about you'd lose your license as a surgeon if that's all you did. All right, made the incision, done, walk away. But that's what lamenting does. Lamenting is the start of the healing. It's not the end of the healing. So we don't have the, uh, the, 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 the right to stop there in the complaining. The complaining is meant to draw us to God. Because remember, God's goal in everything is for us to draw near to Him. And when we complain and then we let Him comfort us, we do that. So how does this relate back to Christ? How does this relate back to Christ? Well, there's a couple of ways that I see this relating to Christ. The first one is when we groan and complain and when we, when we feel just not right about the way things are and we want it to be better, we need to understand that the Bible is clear. We're in good company. All of creation is doing this. Romans 8, 19-22, For the creation waits for the eager longing in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we are in good company. All of creation is groaning and longing 
for the return of Christ. Not only that, but we're also encouraged to take everything we feel to the Lord. Remember when we did 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all, all, every single one of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. This God cares for you. But it gets even better than that. It gets even better than that. See, not only does God say, I'll listen, not only does all of creation say, we're with you, it's bad, but we have a high priest in heaven who has experienced everything we have. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. That means feel along with us, with our weaknesses. He's able to come alongside our weaknesses but one who has in every respect been as tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So where is this high priest? Well, go back a verse, Hebrews 4.14. It says, since we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now when I see or hear that, pass through the heavens, it sounds like a shooting star, and then it's gone. But that's not what that word means. It means he's passed through the heavens and now he's there. The NIV says he has ascended into heaven. He is at the right hand of God, which is the place of power. This is so important that the, the Gospels, three of the four mention it several times. Mark 16, 19. The Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up and sat down at the right hand of God. Luke twenty two sixty nine, The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand in power. It's so important that Paul, that we see uh, Luke mention it again in Acts, Acts 7.55, the Holy Spirit, I gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at his right hand. Peter, 1 Peter 3.21, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels and authorities and powers subjected to him. So not only do we have Jesus, who when he was here on earth, he suffered as we did and grieved as we did, but he has gone before us into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God, right there, the seat of power. And what is he doing there? Is he just sitting there and it's like, okay, everything's done, he's, he's, he's up there just chilling? No, the Bible's very clear. He is doing things on our behalf. First Timothy 2.5 for there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, and the man Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to the utmost to save those who draw near to him through God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 1 John 2.1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what is Jesus doing in heaven right there at the right hand of God? He is telling God what we're feeling. Not only does God know because he's all-knowing, not only does he know because we have the Spirit inside of us, but we also have a mediator, an intercessor, an advocate who is right there at God's hand going, this is what they're feeling. Go, care for them. His deepest desire is to pour his heart out on behalf of the Father. This is Jesus. The intercession, mediation, and advocation of Christ is the heart of his connecting our hearts to the the Father's heart. So we have one who's experienced all we have and is now seated at the throne on our behalf going before the Father. So now let's put all those Hebrews passages together because Hebrews 4.16 is like the cherry on top. 
Hebrews 4.14 Since we have a high priest who's gone passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold on to our confession. He's a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now look at 16. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Look at that promise there. When we complain and we take our grief to the Lord, when we cry out, Lord, I don't understand, that is the definition of a time of need. And what is the promise? That we will receive mercy and grace. That we will receive, He will hear because He cares for us. So today, as you look over your life and there are things that you're disappointed about, there's things that hurt, things that aren't the way they ought to be, take it to your Lord. Let Him know what you're feeling and then allow him to care for you. See, Jesus bought on his de- on, with his death on the cross the right to make everything right. When we lament, we celebrate that truth with tears as we long for the day when Jesus returns and makes everything right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that you are going to send your son back to get us that we're not left alone with some random universe where things are outside of your control, but Lord, you are sovereignly in control. So Lord, we, we bring to you our complaints. Lord, we, we don't like the way things are going. We don't like that there's death. We don't like that there's mourning. We don't like that things aren't the way we want them to be. And so Lord, we confess those to you and, and, and ask for you to, your will be done, to fix it. Or Lord, come quickly. And take us to home to be with you. Whatever it is, Lord, however you're going to, to take care of it, we trust that you are in control and that, Lord, you are good. Help us to stand right there. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to preach to these saints today. Thank you for the words, Lord, you gave me. I pray that it was a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.